Well, today we are in an in-between Sunday. We finished Philippians last week, and we have our fall kickoff, which is going to be the beginning of a new preaching series uh, in 1 Samuel. Uh, that's going to start next week. And so today we have one of these open Sundays, and as we thought through and prayed uh, about what would be most appropriate to preach this Sunday, um, we decided that what we wanted to do was talk about God's will. We wanted to talk about how do we know what God's will is uh, in our lives, in the life of our church, um, for so many people. I mean, if I were to come to you and say, hey, I know what God's will is for your life. I know exactly what God wants from you today, tomorrow, this year, these next five years. I mean, how would that make you feel? Well, it'd probably make you feel suspicious, I guess, first. But uh, if you really thought I, I could actually deliver on that promise, you know, maybe you'd feel excited, maybe you'd feel scared or relieved. Um, the idea of, of, of God's will has been, ta- it's gone in so many different directions. Um, I think if you are a Christian and you think, well, if you're trying to gather as many people as you possibly can, you either talk about sex or you talk about God's will. I mean, either one of those will draw in lots of people because everybody wants to know what is God's will. There are people that you might have met who seem to live as though they've got this direct phone conversation with God. Like, you remember the movie The Matrix, you know, where Neo gets this phone and he picks it up, puts it to his ear, and then the guy says, duck down in your cubicle, turn left, walk four steps, go down the hall. Yeah, I mean, and there are people that, that, that live that way and seem to, it seems like they have that same, you know, it's not a phone, but it's, it's this ongoing conversation with God. And, and for people that, that can experience that, that's a wonderful feeling. But then for me, I listen to people talk like that and I think, so is something wrong with me? Like, I don't have that same deal in, in my own mind or my own relationship with God. So does that, just, am I left out? You know, and then there's other people that would say, oh, well, you know, everything you need to know about God's will, it's in the Bible, right? And, and for some people, again, that fits, but then you stop and you think, wait a minute, like there's issues that I'm dealing with right now in my life that I can't find a Bible verse for, right? You feel that way? Should I get married or not? No. <laughs> That's an example of something that you might be thinking, you know, not... No, should I get married or not? Which job should I take? Should I change careers? Should I try to start a new business? You know, um, what exactly is God's will for me? Should, if I'm married, should I have children or not? How many should I have, right? Um, you think about, like, how much of my schedule should be full, right, versus having free time? What should I do with my free time? I mean, these are questions that we ask, and a lot of times we don't feel like there are direct verses in the Bible that, you know, that speak to those things. So what do we do? What is God's will and how can we know it? And if we can get close to it, can we be sure that we're actually walking in it? Right? Some people say there is a secret will of God for every single human being. There is this perfect plan that God has mapped out for every single human being on earth. And the key is you have to find it. And if you find it and can stay on it, you know, then you can maneuver yourself into the happiest, most blessed life you could possibly experience. But if you, if you stray from that even a little bit, oh my goodness, you have no idea the kinds of punishment you're going to deal with because you've left God's perfect will, right? There are people who talk about it that way, and that's ter- that scares me. <laughs> I mean, because I don't know, if, if that's the case, I'm sure I left that will a long time ago, and I'm not sure how to get back to it. And so, again, all this stuff, there, there are so many different ways people talk about the will of God, 
that I think it speaks to us. Now, let me address, if you're not a Christian here, and, or maybe you've never even thought about the will of God, I guess I want to ask, I mean, do you ever think that God might have an opinion about the decisions that you make? You know, what's your process that you go through when you make big decisions? I mean, is it, do you just go with your gut? Do you talk to other people? Do you follow a particular pattern or a plan that you've set out to help make big decisions? Does God care about what you decide? Um, I mean, if you're not a Christian today, I think that what I'm going to be doing is offering you, this is how Christians think. You know, and this is how um, the Bible would talk about how we're to make decisions. And you may find some of this really resonates with you, and you may decide that this is a pretty good way to think about the big decisions in your life. And so as we look today to try to understand God's will, we got three points. Our first point is we're going to see the Bible's teaching on God's will. Secondly, three ways God's will is revealed. And then third, how to apply it to your life. Okay, and I'll give them back to you as we hit them um, in. in uh, and I should probably read a verse or two, shouldn't I? Usually we do that. Um, there's a bunch of verses that are written in the bulletin on pages 6 and 7. If you want to bring up the first slide, I'm going to read just two of the, verse, of, of the sets of verses. I'm going to read the Numbers 9 verse and then the Romans 8, 14 verse. Um, so we're going to look at those two verses before we start, and then I'll come to the rest of them as we go in the sermon, okay? So let me start with Numbers 9, verses 15 to 23. On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony. And at evening, it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that, the people of Israel set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped. At the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. Okay, so there you have this image of, you have this tent where God dwelt in the midst of his people. And there was a cloud that appeared over the tent. And at night it was a pillar of fire. And in the daytime it was a cloud. It kept them warm at night. It kept them shaded by day. And wherever that cloud went, Israel went. Okay? And so God led Israel through, uh, through this cloud, this pillar of fire and cloud. Let me read Romans 8, 14. Let's go to the next one. There we go. It's there. It's second there from the top. This is Paul in the book of Romans who just says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Okay. Now let me talk a little bit about the Numbers passage for a second. Numbers comes right after Exodus. Okay. The big Exodus from Egypt. Israel was brought out by God. They were enslaved in Egypt. They were in bondage to Egypt. And God brought them out through the waters of the Red Sea. Okay. Then they came to Mount Sinai where they received the law. The Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai. Then they traveled through the desert to the Promised Land. 
Okay, now number, the Numbers 9 passage describes how God led them through the desert wandering. Okay, the exact path that they were to follow you know, was determined by this cloud. Wherever the cloud went, that's where they were. And so God led them that way. The Nehemiah 9 verse, it's in your bulletin, it says this. It says, Nehemiah 9.19, it summarizes this whole thing. You and your great mercies, God, did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night, to light for them the way by which they should go. Okay, so this was how God led them. And so through the wilderness, through the desert, this is how God led his people. What's interesting, if you jump into Romans chapter 8, you're going to have to strap on your thinking cap here for a second. In Romans 8, Paul is telling the story of Christianity as a New Testament version of the Exodus. Okay? It's a New Testament version of the Exodus. It starts in chapter 6, actually. In Romans 6, Paul says that God brought us out of being in bondage to sin through the waters of baptism. Okay, that's like the Exodus. Through the waters of the Red Sea, Israel came out of Egypt. In Romans 7, the next chapter, you have what happens when the law comes for Christians, just like Mount Sinai. And then in Romans 8, Paul describes life like a desert. Okay, life is like a desert, and it's us traveling through the desert of this life unto the promised land of heaven and the new heavens and earth. Okay? Again, if you read Romans 6, 7, and 8, you can see this. Paul is describing the Christian life like a New Testament version of the Exodus. And so the question then for our time today is, how does God lead us through the wilderness of this life, through the deserts of this life? And that the answer to that is Romans 8, 14. We are led by the Spirit of God. Okay? In the same way, just like the cloud and the fire led Israel from Mount Sinai all the way to the Promised Land, so also God is using His Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to lead us. And so to talk about God's will for your life really is to ask, how does the Holy Spirit lead us? Okay, how does the Spirit lead us in our lives? And that's what we're going to talk about. You know, this actually makes sense, especially when you combine it with some of the things Jesus said. In John chapter 16, verse 13, it's in your bulletin, He said, when the Spirit of truth comes, this is the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth. And so the question for us then is what does that look like? Okay, if the will of God is encapsulated under being led by the Spirit of God, what does it mean for the Holy Spirit to lead us? And this brings us to our second point. Okay, our second point is three ways that God's will is revealed. Okay, God's will is revealed to us. The Spirit leads us primarily in three ways. Now, let me say, let me put a little caveat here. Um, this second point doesn't, specific, it doesn't specifically come from the text in Romans 8, okay? So this Romans 8, 14 verse talks about being led by the Spirit. I think it's important to step back and look at the wider picture of Scripture because this is just one verse. Paul doesn't describe in detail how the Holy Spirit leads us, but if we look at the rest of Scripture, we can see this, and then we'll know how to apply it to our lives, okay? So we're going we're gonna to look a little bit more widely here. Um, this point really helps us to understand, and, and again, like Michelle was talking about, in terms of strengths finders, you know, all of us have different strengths. All of us are also wired differently, and so God really sort of appeals to us in different ways based on how we're wired. 
okay? And there's three main ways that the Spirit leads us, okay? The first way is by the Word, the Word of God. The Spirit leads us by God's Word. John 17, 17 says, it's Jesus talking, he says, Father, make them holy in the truth. Your Word is truth, okay? Sometimes knowing God's will, knowing where the Spirit is leading you is as simple as reading the Bible to know what God wants. Okay, sometimes it's just that simple. Um, the commandments, yeah, they, the commandments get such a hard rap because maybe it's because the church has misused them so much in the past. But the commandments, they're not designed to be this rigid code just to make us feel guilty. The commandments are actually a painting of the beautiful life. Right? They're like a song where everything just seems right. Now, that's what the commandments are. They're defining a life of blessedness, a life of you know, this is how God's built the world and this is how it most, it's most effectively run. And if you would abide in these commandments, if you would walk in the commandments, you'll know peace, you'll know happiness, you'll know security. Right? And so sometimes it's as simple as knowing, as knowing what the Bible says. So Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay, and so sometimes, and there's some verses that make it really, really clear what God's will is. Okay, so if you want to know what God's will is, how about 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4? This is good, and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. doesn't get simpler than that, right? If you want to know what God's will is for your life, first and foremost, God's will is that you be saved. God wants you to have a relationship with him. God built life so that we would be constantly connected to him. Maybe cell phones are kind of an image of that, right? People talk about how frustrating it is you're always connected. If you have a cell phone, then you get a smartphone, and you have email and all the internet and everything, and you feel like you never ever get a dull moment. In a sense, your cell phone is a picture of the way God made life to be in terms of your relationship with Him, right? God's designed life, and it, 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 life works best when we're connected to Him. And so God desires that you be saved. Okay, then beyond that, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is the will of God. Ready? This is God's will, your sanctification. Sanctification is a theological term. It just means your growth, your ability to grow and mature um, as a follower of Jesus. God's will is that you be holy. Okay, not the austere, holier-than-thou sort of sense, but just with a real clear sense of your own sin, your own fallenness, so that you're not lording it over somebody else. Right? And, and, a, and a progression in your life where you're growing in grace. You're better understanding what God is doing in your life and what God has done with Jesus in terms of offering him as the savior of all people. Paul goes on specifically to say, your sanctification, um, that you would abstain from sexual immorality, right? So sanctification also has ethical implications. And again, it's not designed exclusively to make us feel guilty, but it's designed to measure out for us what the life looks like that will experience, you know, the sense of blessing and closeness to God. And then, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Isn't this great? 
<laughs> you want to know what God's will is? Here it is. It's revealed. He actually says what his will is for each and every one of us. So he wants you saying thanks. Right? In the midst of anything that's going on, there are things that you can find to be able to be thankful for. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in Philippians. Now, beyond these verses, if you do a word search on the, in the Bible for the will of God, you'll find there's, there's a few more verses that we're not going to go into. But then beyond that, there are also there are commands, there are stories, there are illustrations that God uses to help us know His will for our lives. Okay? Help us to know, how, you know what things ought to guard and, and, and guide our will. Now, as we think about, you know, I, I was thinking about this not just for individual people, but even as a church, because next week we're going to be talking at the fall kickoff all these goals that we're going to set for this year. You know, and the question is, well, how do we know, right? How do we know if the goals that we're setting as a church are God-given goals? Well, one of the ways is we followed this. <laughs> we looked into God's word. What does God say the church needs to be? You know, what does God say our city really needs? You know, and as we looked at those things, some things just sort of jumped off the page. And we've recognized that we need to have a program for discipleship to help people grow because God's will is our sanctification. And so we began to think through and, and thought, okay, one area of goals we want to set is in the area of discipleship. Um, another area is the area of homelessness. Like we want to be able to serve our city in terms of coming up with a gospel-driven solution for homelessness, right? We see a lot of different ideas about how to deal with homelessness, and some of them fall on really bad extremes, you know, from enabling to, to sort of incarcerating, you know. I mean, those are two extreme positions. And we want to ask, God, what do you have to say in your word about this problem, about this, about, you know, how can, we, how can we as a church best love and serve folks who don't have homes? And how can we teach other people to love and serve those people as well? And so we'll have a whole set of goals coming out next week just on this area. But it came from God and his word. You know, we see in the, in the word of God that the church is supposed to be a family, Right, and so we want to set goals in the area of, you know, helping us build and deepen our relationships. You know, these things came out of knowing God's word. Okay, and so this is one of the ways the Spirit reveals God's will to us is through the word. Okay. Now, there's a second way that the Spirit leads us, and that's through prayer. Okay, so you have the word, then you have prayer. And with prayer, prayer is just, it's, it's being in God's presence, right? It's spending time with God. Um, and I guess, you know, one of the ways to think about this is, I don't know if you've ever had an experience where you've met, where you've, well, you've met somebody who's famous or somebody that you've read about a lot. You know, you, you've read all about their life. You've read about their accomplishments. You've read about the things that they've done and, and their own desires and, and their goals and the things that, that have happened in their lives. And then you meet them, right? And it's just different, right? Maybe you meet them and they're actually, because you're supposed to meet them, and it's not this crazy thing where you scare them and, and look like a person who knows too much about them. But, you know, you have this meeting where you're supposed to meet with them and you, you actually sit down, you have a meal with this person, and it, it's different, right? It's related to all the stuff that you know, right? It's related to all the stuff you've studied. And you ask them questions based on the things that you've read, and you learn more. You actually hear their heart, Right? You, you get to know them better because of the conversation. That's, that's what prayer is. It's going to the God that we read about and that we connect with in the Bible and experiencing his presence. It's experiencing God's presence. And so in terms of the leading of the Spirit, the Spirit leads us into the Word, but then he leads us into the presence of God. We seek God's face. What does God think about this question? 
You know, you, you stop and you imagine. You say, God, how do you feel about this? You know, what would please you? You know, and you have a sense of the Spirit. You know, and sometimes something kind of mystical happens where you get a real strong sense of the Spirit. Sometimes nothing happens and you come away with a sense of, okay, well, um, I'm not really sure what else to do in terms of that area. But, um, but so, and the Scriptures talk about this. Right? The Scriptures talk about being in the presence of God. Isaiah 30, verse 21. This is interesting. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. That's interesting. Like I know people that live this way and they have this sense of where God wants them to park their car. You know, they have this sense of where God wants them to introduce themselves to like the fourth stranger that they meet. You know, they're walking down the street and all of a sudden they just stop somebody and they have this sense that God is speaking to them. Um, and that's a very real part of the Christian life. It's a very real way that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit leads um, in terms of, of revealing His will. You know, James four thirteen to 15, it's interesting. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and try to make a profit. Yet you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You know, and so that's that dynamic of you make a plan, right? You think through what it is that you think God might be wanting you to do. And then you go to him and you say, Lord, this is what I think. And this, I think it because of these principles in your word or because of wisdom that I've been able to gather. Is this right? I don't want to do this if it's not your will. And that's part of how God leads us. That's part of how the Spirit leads us. He leads us into the presence of God. And, uh, and so I guess coming back to our own goal planning and my, my own you know, leadership in terms of setting goals for the church, you know, we, we had this list of goals, and I went into the Lord's presence. I sought the Lord, and I said, God, these things seem very consistent with your word to serve the homeless to do a better job discipling our folks here at Harbor, to build a, a deep and transforming community, um, you know, to, to target and, and maybe aim after trying to love and bless the East Village. I mean, we feel like these things are consistent with, with your word, but is this what you want from us? I mean, is this really what we ought to be aiming at? There's lots of other things that we could be targeting, you know, that are revealed in your word. Are these the things that we ought to do? And it's interesting. I mean, I, f- I, f- I feel like we, like I, you know, as an individual, as pastor, and then we as a leadership team felt this strong sense that, yes, like this is where God is leading us. Um, and we'll talk about more about why we felt like God was confirming that when we look at the third way the Spirit reveals God's will. And so this is in the area of action. Okay, so God's, God's Spirit leads us into the Word. He leads us in prayer into the presence of God, and He leads us to act. He leads us to act. There comes a point when you just need to step out and do something. Okay, you just need to act. You need to go. You need to. You need to do something, right? Um, <clears throat> and we see this in Acts chapter sixteen. We see Paul uh, doing something. Paul and Silas and Timothy. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That's interesting. 
And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so here we see that what Paul is doing here is he's acting. He's saying, I know that I have a call from God to preach the gospel to everybody who can hear it. And Paul says, okay, well, I want to go and preach to, uh, in Asia. And he's stopped. Okay? And then he wants to come to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus stops him there. You know? And so what we see here is that Paul is just acting. He's saying, I'm going to go and try to preach, but then he's open. Right? He's open, and the Lord stops him in these two places and then gives him a vision so that he knows exactly where he's supposed to go. Okay? And I guess in terms of this idea of the will of God, sometimes God leads us by opening and closing doors. Sometimes the Spirit you know, tells us God's will in terms of what doors open and what doors shut to us. You know, For Paul, Paul thought, well, it must be God's will for me to go and speak uh, in these two places, and the doors closed on him, and so... Paul realized, well, I guess the Lord hasn't called me to go and preach in those places. You know, and then when the vision happens, then he says, oh, okay, well, this is, this is why. I, I wasn't supposed to go over here because the Spirit was going to lead me over here. Okay? And so this area of doing. Psalm 37.4 falls under this as well. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You know what this means? This is kind of fun for people, especially who really are oriented in this do area. This means have a good, a healthy relationship with God, and you can do whatever you want. Because what you want will be from him. That's the dynamic. If you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires will be his desires. And so you can choose to do whatever you want. And then you trust that if what you want isn't God's will for you, he'll stop you. Right? That's exactly what Paul did in Acts chapter 16. And so, so this is how the Spirit reveals God's will in terms of the word, in terms of prayer, and then in terms of action. Now, as I went through these things, my sense is that for a lot of you, maybe you resonated with one of these things more than the other two. I mean, I don't know, but just quick show of hands. I mean, anybody resonate with the word more than the other, more than prayer and action? Anybody? Okay, how about prayer? Is prayer really the thing that resonates with you? Okay, what about action? Interesting. Interesting. Y'all are breaking my own mold here. I'll tell you what I mean here in a second. Um, I think we're going to find usually that we're stronger in one of these areas, and we're actually going to talk about this in terms of the discipleship plan. We recognize that there are three kinds of people. There are knowers. There are beers. And there are doers. Okay, now when you write those down, you need to put a hyphen in between the word and then the ERS. Otherwise, those middle folks get kind of upset. So you have knowers, N-O-K-N-O-W-E-R-S. Yeah, some of you are getting it later. <laughs> then the beers, B-E slash E-R-S. You're not beers, you're beers. Um, and then you have doers. And so and in terms of the will of God here, um, some of you most naturally resonate and connect with the will of God, feel most confident you're in God's will 
when you know what God's word has to say about your situation, right? That's where you have confidence. You go to the word. For others, it's being in God's presence and sensing what he wants that makes you feel most confident and that you're walking in God's will. And for others, you don't really know exactly what, but you just go and do and you know that God will sort of lead and guide you, kind of like you get the ship moving and you can always steer the ship much more effectively when it's in motion, okay? Now, while it's good to remember that, you know, you're strongest in one, the healthiest person has all three, okay? Not necessarily in equal measures, but the healthiest person is a combination. The most well-rounded Christian, you know, is someone who has all three because if you don't have enough knowing, you end up focused so much on doing the right thing that you can become a legalist, okay? People with little being could end up knowing about God but not having a relationship with him. Does that make sense? You know, and then, you know, people with little doing can end up deceiving themselves, right? Oh, yeah, I know God, I love him, but my life doesn't show anything. You know, like I have no fruit in my life that would show evidence that I'm in relationship with God. You know, and so to be without one of those three entirely is a bad thing, right? And so, um, but my sense is that what you ought to do is you find out where you're strongest and then use your strength. If you're a knower, a beer, or a doer, use your strong suit to lead you into the other areas. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, as a knower, so I'm a knower. Um, but as a knower, what I learn from Scripture enables me to be more of who I'm supposed to be. Right? I learn from God's word what I am in terms of being in relationship with Christ. Like I, my old self is dead. I'm a new self. I have a new heart. You know, when I learn those things, then I am able to be that, those things. Okay? And then that also moves me to act. You know? and so my knowledge creates more sense of being for me, which pushes me into action. Okay? Um, if you're strongest in terms of being, then really you want it's your experience with God that makes you want to know what he says and to put it into practice, right? And if you're a doer, you, know, you want to you serve, you want to do, but you want to make sure that your knowledge of God then helps direct where you're, what you're going to do, right? Your relationship with God helps you sense when you're, you know, when, you're, when you're doing the right thing, when you're not. And so, again, it's not bad to be one of those three things, use what you're good at to then help filter into the other two areas, okay? Does that make sense? Now, I think what's also neat about this is that this really does apply in lots more areas than just the will of God, okay? If you can understand that there are three different kinds of people, this actually can help relationships and understanding interpersonally. I mean, it's funny because even this week, I've, I've been talking about the, the, you know, these three things because it's, it's been on my mind. And uh, I've seen people, like lights come on as I've explained these three kinds of people to, to individuals, you know, where, you know, someone even said, gosh, my marriage is going to be so much better now that I know this because I'm a beer and my husband's a knower. And we get so frustrated with each other because he wants me to know, but I want to be. And, and the way we make decisions is really different. And so, um, so I think this can really help you in terms of getting, you know, working with people that aren't like you. The second thing is it helps churches. I think for the most part, if you look in the widest possible, broad, broadest possible brush, Presbyterians tend to be knowers, okay? Charismatics tend to be beers, and Baptists tend to be doers, okay? Now, what's powerful is that now that's not an insult, right? I mean, that's a strength that, ev that, the, that the whole church needs. I mean, the church in its biggest sense, 
you know, but if you can understand that, like all three of these are good, they're legitimate, but understanding helps us to relate to other churches. It helps us not, I mean, to see what's best in the other churches, to learn where we're weak, um, and then to, to build good relationships even across church lines. So, um, so I think that's helpful. So that's the three ways God's will is revealed. The Spirit leads us into the Word. He leads us in prayer into the presence of God. And then He leads us into action. Now, our third point comes down to how do you apply this then in your life? You know, what does it mean then to actually discern the will of God for you? Now, I don't think I'm doing this because I'm a knower, but I think the way to do this is to start with the Word. Okay? Now, I may be just you know, blind to my own preconceived notions and my own wiring. So I'm not trying to impose something, you know, and make it fit. If you guys are round pegs and I'm a square hole, or wait, if I'm the round peg, never mind. Um, But so I think it starts with the Word of God. Okay, so if you have a decision to make, you ask yourself, does God's Word have something to say about this? Okay, and there might be verses that deal with it specifically. There might be stories that highlight aspects of your decision. Um, so you look for the Word of God. You look to the Word first. And then second, you pray. You pray. You go into God's presence and you say, God, here's what I've learned from your Word. Help me understand how you feel. God, what do you think about this? God, how would you make this decision if you, if, if you were me? You know, and get a sense. It's almost like what happens, at least for me in prayer, is that I'm imagining God in my mind, this mental image um, of, of, what, of God being with me. And I just think about what I know about God, and I ask the question, and I just get a sense of how he feels. You know, now, for me, I need to make sure that my sense of who God is is governed by Scripture, Right? Because if I'm imagining a God that's, that's not in accord with Scripture, then you know, there's a problem there. But you want to go into the presence of God and, and ask him, God, what, what, do you, what do you want from me in this? How do you feel about this? Um, and, and what's interesting is that James 1.5 says this specifically. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. You know, wisdom is the ability to take the principles of Scripture and apply them to your life. Okay, and so if you don't know what to do, if you don't know how to take the principles of Scripture and apply them in your situation, that's what wisdom is. And if you need wisdom, you go to the Lord and pray. Right? You say, God, I need wisdom. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that prayer. God, this is the situation. I don't know what to do. Here are some of the principles that seem to be involved in making this decision. I need wisdom. How do I apply this? And when you pray that, if you're a knower sometimes new verses will come to your mind as you're praying. If you're a beer, sometimes you'll think of people that you could talk to about this. People who have been through it before, people who have experience or or some expertise that can help you govern the uh, the decision. And if you're a doer, sometimes God will respond. I mean, even right in the moment where you're praying, he'll give you a plan. And you'll think, okay, well, I need to do this, this, and this. And then I think I'll probably have enough knowledge to be able to take action. Okay, and so these are the ways God answers that prayer. And then third, so you you go to the Word, you pray, and then you act. You move forward. And as you move forward, you're trusting God. You're saying, God, I'm doing this, trusting that you are in this with me, and if this isn't the right way to go, will you please stop me? Will you please help me by, by closing doors or open doors if I'm on the right track? And you'll find that God does that. 
Now, as I was thinking through this whole process, you know, and even preparing and writing the sermon, I think for some of you, like, this is really life-giving. You know, some of you feel like, wow, okay, I have a better sense of what it means to know God's will, and you're eager to kind of commit yourself to the Word, to prayer, to, you know, to acting. Um, But my sense also is that, you know, there's a number of us that have really kind of neglected one or more of these aspects in our lives. Um, And you're not as focused on, you know, on pursuing this, but you're focused a little bit more on the guilt that you feel because you haven't been doing this before. Or maybe you've neglected it. You did it one time in the past, or uh, or maybe you never have. And as I've thought about that, even hearing that God has a wonderful plan for your life doesn't get you excited, because for you, you feel like you've failed, and there really is no hope for you. Um, you know, there's a Jeremiah twenty nine eleven says this. God says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for peace and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you'll call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. My guess is that there's some of you that this doesn't, even this doesn't give you hope. Because you feel like, well, this might be true, but it's not true for me. Because I know what my life has been like. I know what I've done. And I want to tell you that every single one of you in this room, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past looks like, you can take this promise that God has plans for you, plans for peace and not for evil, to give you hope and a future. You can apply that to yourself. You can take that as a word from God directly to you today. And it doesn't matter what you've done. The reason I know that is because when we think about God's will, all of us have failed to live up to God's will. Okay? None of us are without sin in this area. And when we think about the will of God, when we think about God's will for each one of us, it causes me to think about God's will for his own son. You know, God, the reason why God can have a plan for you that promotes peace, that promotes future and a hope, is because God had a plan for his son Jesus that had no peace, that had no hope, and that had no future. In Acts 2.23, it says that Jesus was delivered. He was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God to be crucified and killed. The reason you can know that God has a good plan for you and for your life, that God's will for your life has a future and a hope, is because he sent his son to the cross to take away your sins. It's because in Jesus, the one who was perfect in every way, in Jesus, God willed his destruction He willed Jesus to experience the punishment that our lives deserved so that God could give you a fresh start. And this is the truth. This is the cross shows you every single day that if you have failed in any one of these three areas or in all of them, if you haven't cared about what God's will is for you up to this point, God still hasn't given up on you. 
that cross, it continues. It's like God wants to placard it in front of your eyes every single day so that you will know how much he cares, so that you'll know that he hasn't given up. And that's what he's trying to communicate to you today. And so you know, I was thinking about, when I, when I started thinking about that, I thought, you know, it's funny because I'm dealing with my shoulder. I dislocated my shoulder about a month ago. Um, there's still, the, the doctor said that my shoulder muscle is not firing at all. Like there's no activity in it. You know, and the way it works, I'm learning, is that we have these nerves that go all over our body. And to get a muscle to work, you have to send a nerve signal, like a signal down the nerve, and it fires. He calls it fires. It fires the muscle. And when the muscle's fired, it, it, it contracts, and then the, the, the arm moves. Well, there's no firing going on. And I got a nerve test done this last week where they jolted me with electricity in all these different ways and could to tell, like, what nerves are working, what nerves aren't working. So I've got two nerves that aren't working. And the guy, the nerve doctor, said... There's one of two problems. Either you've stretched the nerve, and it usually takes about six to eight weeks for the nerve to heal itself, okay? or you've severed the nerve, and in which case it will take a long time. A new nerve has to grow out of your neck all the way down your arm, and he said it takes about three months to get to your shoulder. It takes over, over a year to get all the way down to your hand, so my fingers will work again. And he said he doesn't know which one is, which one is the problem, but... And when I thought about that, I thought, you know what, that's, that's not that far from, I think, where we are in terms of thinking about God and our relationship to him. Because you know? for some of you, you're Christians, and what you've done is you've sort of stretched the nerve that connects from God to your heart, you know? and your heart's not firing right now. Um, and you have experienced some time where you don't feel anything in terms of your relationship with God. You don't sense his will in your life. You don't sense that you're walking in it. You don't even know what it is. You know, and, in a, and, and what God is saying here is that you need to come back to the cross. You need to remember the truth that Jesus gave his life to take away the stuff that stands between you and God. And that heals that nerve. It brings that nerve back to where it begins to fire again. And if you're not a Christian, then your situation is more the second where the nerve has been severed. Right? There's no connection right now between you and God. And yet, I was thinking about this. I learned that mil- like these nerves, they grow one millimeter a day. That's why it takes a year to go down your arm. But I was thinking about that. Like, and for you, I mean, if you're not a Christian, how long maybe has it been that you've sensed that God is reaching out? You know, that God's getting closer and closer. Maybe it feels like a millimeter a day. Maybe it's been a lot more than a year. Maybe it's been five years that you've sort of sensed God knocking on the door, that you've felt that God is somewhere not too far away, and you have this sense that he's getting closer and closer. I mean, if that's where you are today, I bring you to the same place. I mean, Christians, not Christians, we all need to come to the cross because the cross is where we connect with God. The cross really is... I mean, in a sense, that nerve connection between our hearts and God. And when you trust in Jesus, God puts that nerve back in. It regrows from him directly into your heart, and your heart begins to fire. And you begin, it's amazing. I still remember the night that I became a Christian. I didn't know what was going to happen. There was a bunch of stuff in my life that I wasn't sure what, you know, how it was all going to turn out. But I remember feeling like, Look, if nothing else happens, at least now I've got a relationship with God. 
and that gave me peace. It gave me the sense that God was in control again and that whatever his will for my life was, like I was good with that. And so I just invite you, I mean, if you don't know Christ today, I invite you to make that commitment and you'll experience that same sense of peace. And God, sort of the umbrella of his love, will sort of enrapture you and you'll experience that peace, that assurance that no matter what else is going on in your life, at least this relationship will cover you, protect you, and you'll experience the love of the shepherd, of the good shepherd, Jesus himself. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that it does talk not just about your will, but that it really does speak about the different ways that you minister to each of us individually. Would you please, God, help us to line up with your will? Give us the, the wisdom that we need to connect with your word, to enter into your presence through prayer, and then to be able to act, God, to take steps of action that show that we're trusting in you. Father, if there are people here who are Christians and yet feel like their nerve has been stretched, would you please bring them back to the cross? Help them to confess and to say, God, I, I've been far from you for a long time and I'm sorry. Come back, forgive my waywardness and renew in me that nerve and make my heart fire. Father, if there are non-Christians here, help them to seek you. Help them to want to know you. Help them, God, to sense how close you are, that you're reaching out for them. Help them to confess whatever has kept them from you and to put their trust and faith in Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.